Welcome to Peniel Bible Church. Here we've been going through a series and through Matthew. Uh, we've come to Matthew chapter 4. And before we dive into Matthew chapter 4, everybody in this room who is a human being, I'd like you to stand up. <laughs> Just to testify of your humanity. <laughs> Now, look at your hands. I could ask you to, to pinch yourself, pinch your neighbor. I, don't do that. <laughs> Unless you really want to. <laughs> Some people deserve it. You know, and I could keep going on and on about things that we could do to each other that appeal to the senses. You know, you can have a seat now, um, but you could, I could ask you to, you know, insult the person next to you. And then see how that feels. You know, I could ask you to, to slap somebody. And then somebody's going to be slapping you too, remember? <laughs> and you, f you feel how that feels. Um, or I could give you something, you know, I could give you a Coke. And you could drink that Coke. And you could enjoy that Coke and be refreshed. And see how that feels. And I want you to think of all those things that we either enjoy or things that cause us pain, whether in our bodies or in our, in our spirits. And I want you to think about those things and just kind of dwell on that a little bit. Just representing, these are all things that represent you as a human being. Senses that we experience throughout the course of our lifetime, all sorts of different senses, both good and bad. Things that make us feel good and things that make us feel angry or hurt. Things that give us joy, euphoria, and things that remove those things from us. And I want you to remember too, because it's hard for us to think about this in the sense that, you know, when we think about Jesus, Jesus is God. He is God. And we don't see God sitting in the front pew here as a human being. And we think about God in a spiritual sense. God is a spirit, the Bible says. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But I want you to also remember that Jesus was a man. He became a man. He came and He felt all of those things that you feel. He felt the pain of a person's abuse. Both physically and spiritually. He felt that. He felt the joys. He felt the draw of things that are delightful. He felt all of those things that you feel. And we talked a lot about that last week, and I'm going to continue a little bit into that today. Um, we're, we're going to get into the actual temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 um, in the afternoon service. So I... I uh, I ask you to stick around. Like I said, there's lunch in between the morning service and the afternoon service, and everybody's welcome. You didn't have to bring anything. It's all provided for us here. Um, in, the, in the afternoon service, we're going to talk about a little bit more into the actual temptations that Jesus suffered at the very hand of Satan himself. In Matthew chapter 4 is a chapter that tells us the account of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting, and then being tempted by the devil so that he could feel what we feel, both physically. I mean, how many of you have ever gone 40 days without eating and to feel the pain 
the weakness of the body after 40 days of this. Most of us would probably be dead after that because the toll that that kind of fasting can take on a human body. And he did this not because he had to. He did this because he wanted to be, to feel everything that we feel, to be like us in every single way possible, yet without sin. And here in Matthew chapter 4, let me just read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. So we see here, at this point, he's fasted for a long time and he is weak. He is filled with weakness. And we talked a lot last week about how he cast off his his power that he had as God, and that's why the Holy Spirit had to come upon him, so that all the miracles that he was performing, the, the spiritual strength that he had, there's a, there's a reason the Spirit came upon him. It's because he wanted to be like us, therefore, becoming human, he cast off his, his, the power that was inherent to his, to his Godhood, so that he could know what it's like to submit to the Holy Spirit to pray for the Holy Spirit's power, to rely on the Holy Spirit just like you and I have to. That's why when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. It wasn't just symbolic. It was necessary because Jesus had become a human just like you and me. He had cast off willingly, not out of necessity because he doesn't owe us anything. He's God. We are not his judge. We are not his ruler. He does not owe us anything. That We did not do something that was so good that now God owes us something. That's not how God works. He did this willingly as part of the, the process of saving, of him coming to us to save us from our sins. And this is part of what he wanted. To suffer like we suffer as a human being. To know what we know. To feel what we feel. To experience that in his own body. To rely on the Spirit, just like we have to in the weakness of our flesh. Jesus, he submitted himself to the weakness and the powerlessness that afflict our human condition because, you know, because we're human. Jesus himself submitted himself to the sufferings of our flesh through what we call the incarnation. Incarnation just means the taking on of flesh. Carne meaning flesh, where we get words carnal carnival, carnival being the celebration of the flesh. And the incarnation means that Jesus took on human flesh. And he received this Holy Spirit so that he might go fulfill the Father's will in power because he was weak in his own flesh, just like we are. So that we, so that he could know what it's like for, like with us to put our trust in God. To rely on God because in his God state, he doesn't have to rely on anybody. But because he wanted to be like us, he submitted himself to a form that he would have to rely on God. In Hebrews 2.18, he says, the author says, For in that he, talking about Jesus, himself has suffered, being tempted. And because of that, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So one of the reasons we see here that he did it, because he wants to help us. 
And it also continues in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, For we do not have a high priest, also talking about Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Again, we see Jesus wants to help you. And we can rely on him because we know that he's experienced all of this. Not only is he God, if that wasn't even enough in and of itself. Not only is he God now and have all power now that he is risen and sits on the right hand of the Father on high. But we also know that he went through everything that we went through. He experienced all the pain and more than we've ever suffered. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Like Again, we see here that Jesus learned what it was like to have to obey, to have to follow, to have to rely on the Spirit. And we also see here that he cried vehemently because of the pain that he was suffering. This is God, remember? This is God submitting himself to a form that he didn't have to submit himself to. He had no obligation to us to do this. He did it of his own will because he loves you and because he's a merciful and compassionate God. He did this of his own will, not by any will of man. He did this of his own will to submit himself to a state of being that he would have to to pray. When he was God, well, he's God, when he was in the fullness of his power as one of the triune Godhead of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were all always of one accord. They didn't pray to each other. They were all just one. They operated as one body. And now Jesus, he submits himself in the flesh to have to pray to God, to have to rely on God because he was suffering weakness. He was suffering pain and torment. So he, Jesus himself, had to rely on the power and the aid of the Holy Spirit. So we see that Jesus is God and he came down to earth in the flesh of the same flesh that we have right here. If you pinch yourself, Jesus could have pinched himself. He could have enjoyed a Coke if they had it back then. <laughs> you know, he could have sat here in one of our pews with us in this service. He was here in the flesh on this earth. And when he was in this earth, we saw that he suffered. And that was actually the reason he came to suffer. The reason he came in the flesh, not only in his suffering, through his suffering, through dying, to offer us a means of salvation. And and here in Matthew chapter 4, we see examples, specific examples of Jesus experiencing what the author of Hebrews says is the suffering of temptation. He He suffered being tempted. A lot of times we think about temptation, not as suffering, but just as something that we either give into or don't give into. But he says he suffered being tempted. Because what temptation is, is there's an impulse in the body, in the flesh, 
that's longing for something that God has told you not to have, not to do, not to say. But there's something within us that longs to do it anyway. So we war against that in our spirit. And that produces an element of suffering, of weakness, of, you know, the more you do this, the more you feel weak. It's just like working out your body. That you can only do so many reps before you have to stop because you're, you're tired and you're weak because of how you've been working out. And it's the same in our spirit as we try to resist temptation. That's working out our spirit and it makes us tired sometimes. And Jesus understood what that was. In fact, he dives into the temptations of the devil after he's already fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's already as tired as anybody can be. Most people would have already died by this point. But yet he chooses to fast for 40... The Spirit leads him to fast for 40 days and then be tempted so that he, at the very weakest of the human, that the human flesh can be, now he has to war with the devil. That's something that most of us, probably all of us, would not be able to succeed at, especially if we were not relying on the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came to suffer. He suffered more than we have ever suffered. He has known human weakness to a greater extent than many of us have ever experienced it. And he did this willingly, not out of obligation. Like I said, he didn't owe this to any of us. None of us earned this humility of Jesus. He did it on his own accord because he loves you. And he came because we need help. And I'm not just talking about in a humanitarian way. We need help because our soul cannot be righteous without him. We cannot be clean without him. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Bible says. Not, and it's not even talking about shedding of our own blood. When Isaiah said that, he was prophesying of the day when Jesus would come, suffer, die, and shed his blood for our sins, so that our sins could be taken away, so that he, conversely, would give us his righteousness, because he suffered in all things, yet without sin. Now, when we accept Christ by faith, because of the things that he suffered and yet was victorious, now his perfection is given to us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ rather than the works of our own flesh, God gives us, essentially, the works of Jesus Christ, the perfect righteous works of Jesus Christ and attributes those to us. So it's as though we were perfect and our soul is wiped clean of its filth, of its stain, of its sin. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, the Bible says, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So in order for his righteousness to be a righteousness that would mean something in us, Jesus had to live perfectly on this earth. And what would that mean if he did not have to suffer temptation? To resist temptation, to be victorious over the devil while he lived. He did not give us the fruits of an easy life. He gave us the fruits of deep 
intense suffering, anguish, and victory through that. The deepest, most pure righteousness is attributed to us. Because Jesus suffered, yet without sin. Now, he can actually save us. Because his perfection can now be given to us. But what would that perfection mean if it was just easy, simple, of no consequence? No, he gave us a deep righteousness because he suffered. And we saw that amidst his suffering, Jesus prayed because he needed help. He needed the Spirit to give him power. And because we find Jesus praying, we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, was his strength while he walked on the earth. Why? Because that's our condition, is it not? We must willfully obey the Holy Spirit. We must rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to withstand the oppression of the devil. There is no suffering where there is no subjection to the ways of man, and Christ did it willingly so that he could give us an example and to prove himself, not to himself, not to God, but so that he might prove himself to us, to be faithful, to be perfect. To make himself as weak as we are. To show us what it's like to fellowship with the Father and see the abiding peace and the endurance in the person of Jesus Christ that comes from that. These things he did so that he might show us the way in which we should walk to salvation. He is able to, as it is written in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, now he is able to be the perfect captain of our salvation. And we talked about that last week more in, in more detail, but just like Moses, okay, and here's something that we didn't talk about. We talked about how Jesus wandered, was in the wilderness for 40 days, being weak, humbling himself to the, to the power of the Spirit, just like God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years so that they might be humbled and learn what it's like to submit to God when everything looks hopeless. Jesus became like his people in that manner also, but there's another reason that number 40 is significant, because Moses, most, many of us may not realize this, but Moses, he was a prince of Egypt, and he was called by God to lead his people, to lead the people of God. He was a, he was a Jew, but he was taken into the family of Pharaoh in Egypt and made a prince. But the people, because he was a prince, would not follow him. In fact, they reviled him. They would not follow him because of his glory as a prince. So what happened at that point? Moses, perhaps accidentally, perhaps on purpose, killed a guard because he saw the guard abusing one of his people. And then because of that murder... He himself was liable to judgment, and because of that, he ran away. Moses ran away and became a shepherd for, how long do you think? Forty years. Moses was a shepherd. He humbled himself 
and became a shepherd for 40 years so that the people, to prepare him to be the perfect captain of their exodus. Because the people were not going to follow him while he was a prince, a prince of Egypt, as high and lofty, holier than thou. So Moses himself was humbled. He was given the sun-scorched skin of 40 years of shepherding in the hot sun, the wrinkles that accompany and the calloused hands of wandering around, tending to the needs of sheep in the open air. He was given all, he was, grew the big, thick beard. His hands, his knuckles began to grow because of the intense labor that's involved. He became somebody that looked nothing like a prince. Why? So that the people would then be willing to follow this man because he became just like them over those 40 years of his own personal wandering in the wilderness, humbling himself from a prince to a commoner. And now because he's like those people, those people are now willing to receive him. And because of that, the Lord then came, after 40 years, the Lord came to him in a burning bush, commissioned him to go to Pharaoh, say, let his people go. And he drew them out in a mass exodus that led them out of slavery. And in a like manner, Jesus came to us, the high king, that we would all be intimidated to follow because of his judgments, because of his authority, which he still retains. But he came to be like us, not for his own sake, but for our own sake. And I pose what I believe to be the reason for all of this suffering that Jesus endured. We know that since Godhood is still inherent to Jesus, Jesus did not have to subject himself to suffering. He didn't owe it to us, like we've explained. God did not need to suffer in order to receive glory later on. Because as God, he is the fullness of glory. He didn't have to go and get more by doing this. But just as he is, he is all glory. And all that was created in this entire universe was breathed out by Jesus' own very lips. It wasn't just some obscure godhood. It was Jesus, the Bible explains. Jesus was the one who created everything with the word of his mouth. But just like the Israelites rejected Moses while he was still a prince of Egypt, and they reviled him for his glory that separated him from them, It was for the sake of the people that Moses was humbled. So that when the the people saw his ragged beard and his wrinkly sun-scorched skin, they might be more willing to relate to this man and follow him. So it is for our sake that Jesus takes on our form, both in stature and in suffering, so that we might see a God rich with mercy and steadfast in his pursuit of us. Because remember, this is not just, this is when Jesus came to the earth, this is not the beginning of God's dealings with man. He had been dealing with man for thousands of years prior to this, pursuing them, even though they kept sinning and rejecting God and turning from God, being exiled, being punished, but yet still forsaking the Lord. And after year, thousands and thousands of years, of God coming to man with mercy and compassion, saying, come to me, 
I have blessing for you. And being rejected, here Jesus still comes and does the ultimate humility, becoming just like us, suffering more than we've ever suffered, willing to pour out his own righteous self so that he might redeem us from sin and be our captain during our personal exodus out of slavery, not to Egypt or some nation, but to sin, death, and hell, to the dominion of Satan. We, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, have gone through and are going through an exodus, whether you realize it or not. Because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and become gloriously born again, we are born again into God's family, into God's kingdom, and we are drawn out of the kingdom of sin and Satan. Just like the people of God in Moses' day were drawn out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage to the Egyptians, we are drawn out of bondage to sin and to Satan. Whereas before, we were subject to those things, their suffering, their condemnation, the kingdom of the devil. We were subject to that, and we could not get out of it unless somebody came and drew us out. And that was Jesus. That was Jesus who came and drew us out of slavery to sin, death, and hell, Satan's dominion. In John, on John chapter 12, verses 23 to 30, I want you to look there real quick, if you are willing. I want to read a few of these verses to help illustrate this. Because these illustrate this concept. John 12, starting in verse 23, says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So here Jesus is, in a little obscure manner, representing the gospel to us, because he's saying, okay, it's my time to fulfill the reason why I came. He, he, he uh, compares himself to a seed, that unless it is planted, the seed is worthless. Unless it's popcorn, and then you can make it delicious. But the seed, unless you plant it, will not produce anything. But Jesus is comparing his death to the death of a seed that is planted in the ground so that it can germinate and produce fruit. And he's saying, I have to die now, because if I stay alive, I'm not going to be able to fulfill my purpose. I'm here to die so that much fruit can come from it. And that fruit that he's talking about is the righteousness given to us that we can never earn on our own. The ability to please God that we never had before because the Lord himself made us righteous, saved us, forgave us of all of our iniquities so that we can now come boldly before the throne of grace. He's saying, it's time for me to go do this now. And if anyone will come like me, after me, so he's kind of becoming the captain of our salvation. He's saying, follow me out of your bondage. Follow me. I'm the new Moses, a better Moses. You're a trapped and I'm saying, follow me out of that trap. I'm the way out. If anyone 
He who loves, he says in verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. Because why? If you love your life too much that you won't leave it in order to follow Christ, then you remain in bondage. You remain in slavery. He who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Why? Because if you hate your life for the sake of Christ, you will follow Christ out of bondage. You will follow him out of bondage. You will leave behind whatever it takes so that you can follow Christ out of slavery. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. So he's saying, if you follow me, you'll be where I am. And we know now that Jesus is in the presence of the Father. And we will be there too if we will follow Jesus out of our bondage. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. You deserve no honor because of your sin, but if you follow Christ... The honor that the Father bestows upon Christ now also gets bestowed upon you. But then he goes on to say, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He felt the agony of what was about to come. He knew that this was going to be torture. The process of dying for the sins of people, not just physically, but within his soul, mostly within his soul, that he was going to bear the sins of all. You know, in his flesh... He was tempted to say, Father, make this stop. Let's turn our backs on this because we don't owe this to them. They don't deserve this. Why don't I just walk away from this? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But then he says, but, to this purpose, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. This is the whole reason I came. So I could save all of these people. Then in verse 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoken to him. But in verse 30, it says, Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me. I, God, the father wasn't trying to comfort me. He wasn't trying to establish me. Or give me confidence. I already have full confidence in, in what, what's about to happen, Jesus said. But he said, no, it's not because of me, but for your sake. For your sake, this was said. Because God was confirming Jesus in front of the people. In front of the people. So that they could see the Father's blessing was upon him. And what was about to happen. Why? Because we're the ones who are faithless. Jesus was not faithless. He knew what was about to happen and he had full confidence. Confidence, perhaps, that was given to him in the flesh because of the things that he had suffered and saw the Spirit working in. But no, we're the ones who are faithless. We're the ones who lack confidence in Christ. So it's for our sake that the Father glorifies the Son. It's for our sake. And then he continues to say, in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Why? Because Jesus is leading a mass exodus. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. He is leading us out of slavery, people. And you follow him, as he said earlier, by hating your life, by not counting it worth keeping. If you will forsake your life for the sake of Jesus then you will come to him in salvation. Then you will come to him. But if you love your life too much that you're not willing to let this go, 
then you will not come to him for salvation. You might pray a prayer, but you're not saved. A prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And you must come after him. To count him worthy of leaving all of this other stuff behind. Otherwise, it's not that Jesus refuses to save you. It's that you refuse to come to him that you might be saved. It's for our sake that the Father glorifies the Son so that we might have confidence in him because we're the one with the problem. God is, not, well, God is not the one with the problem. It's not that he has this false, overbearing sense of justice that he's carrying, about the world, carrying, carrying out in the world. He's not the one with the problem. We are. When we see Christ submitting to suffering at the hands of the devil, it's not because he had to do this. It's not because God is unfulfilled or imperfect in some way that he's trying to get this vain glory. No, he already has all the glory. It's for our sakes. We are now able to see him in the flesh and take heart that he himself has gone through everything that we suffer. One, so that he can actually come to our aid. He has the power to overcome anything. He knew how to resist. He can provide us both a way of overcoming temptation or a way of escaping it. Because he knows how. He knows the way. But more importantly, we see him suffering at his very weakest so that he, through overcoming the evil one, can overcome the evil one in us. He has the power to overcome the evil one in you. But will you come and follow him? We have labored over the purposes behind Jesus' temptations, his suffering, his humbling. And later, later on after lunch, we're going to talk about some of these actual temptations that he went through and dive into them and see how that relates to our, our situation and see him overcoming in the flesh, to see him actually doing it. We've talked about why he had to do it. This afternoon, we're going to see him actually doing it. So I urge you to stick around. If not, that's fine. But I don't want you to miss out on this because we're going to start this. We may have to finish it next week, but we're at least going to start looking at this together. Um, but in the meantime, we praise our Lord because he is the great overcomer who, when he comes upon you, now, when you put your faith in the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that walked with Christ... Now we have the power to overcome anything that the, the, the tempter might throw at us. We now have the ability to come out of our slavery and follow Jesus. Because the Spirit gives us the power to do it through faith. Through an enduring faith. Not just a faith that you had one time when you prayed. But a faith that caused you to confess, repent, believe, and follow. That's what our faith does. Because Jesus himself, it is said, endured. And because he endured, he is now able to come to our aid so that we can endure. Don't trust in the fact that you prayed a prayer once. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. Not your thing that you did. We trust in Christ because he is the overcomer. You are not the overcomer. Jesus is. So if you have a misplaced faith, I urge you to confess that to the Lord and make it right. And look at your life. Consider it worth leaving.
the sinfulness, the carnality of it. Why? Because where he's going, he wants to bring us there also. Well, he's already gone there. He wants to bring us there also. Will you embark on this exodus with him? Will you find him faithful, the perfect captain of your salvation, who can lead you there? Because in his humanity, that's what he came to do, to become the perfect captain of our salvation, of this exodus out of the sinfulness and unrighteousness of ourselves. Is he faithful to you? Do you find him faithful? Or do you still feel like he lacks and therefore I have to trust in myself to get some stuff done apart from him? Do you trust that what he has to offer is worth it? Or do you think, well, he's kind of satisfying in this regard, but I still really like all of these sins over here that I want to cling to and not give up. Well, then you remain in slavery. And that's your choice. I mean, I'm not going to guilt you into not choosing that because that's your choice. But you should know that that does not result in salvation. But that's something that you will have to bear on your own self between you and the Lord. But I urge you, look at the magnificence of Jesus. Paul tells us to proclaim the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I am doing here. Proclaiming to you the excellencies of what Jesus did and what he has to offer you. The question is, will you receive it? Will you follow him out of your, out of your slavery to sin, death, and the dominion of Satan? That's something that you have to answer for yourself. If you'd like to talk more on this, please let me know. I would be happy to sit down with you sometime this week over a cup of coffee and discuss further in your own personal situation. But consider these things. Is this something that is something that you want to follow or not? Thank you, Lord, for your delight in us that you have not completely cast us away because of our sin. But because of our sin, you have come to us to provide us a way to come to you. Lord, let us not grow weary because of our guilt and our shame, but let us see those things as opportunity for us to repent, to confess, and to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.